awesome to be here with you guys. I look forward to Sunday every week. Uh, I got to ask you a question though. Would you say that right now, this morning, you're feeling more grumpy or more grateful? Because you can't do both at the same time. Uh, it's, not, it's not a possibility, I don't think, in my experience, to be both grumpy and be grateful. Uh, having a bad attitude will push the gratitude right out of your heart. So let's all do this together. We're going to take five seconds of silence, which is basically eternity for Americans. Uh, think of something that you are legitimately, truly grateful for. And don't pinch your children's cheeks. They don't like that. Uh, man, I have a lot of things to be grateful for. Uh, let's, just, let's just choose to be grateful, be excited, hope that God's going to really speak to us this morning. I know I am anticipating that, and uh, so it feels good to turn around, feeling grateful. I like it. Uh, here's something that you've probably never heard someone say before. Uh, my wife and I have been in a car accident on our way home from Christmas Eve service twice, on two separate occasions. This has happened. One time... Uh, we were just casually driven off the highway by another driver who was probably trying to get home from Christmas Eve service, but going down the wrong side of the highway. Uh, and so that was pretty exciting. Uh, that was the less eventful of the two. I'm going to attempt to reenact the other one for you right now. Uh, Hannah, why don't you come up here and help me? This is totally unrehearsed. Okay. Yeah, there she is. All right, come on up. Uh, come on up. I'm glad you put on your good sweatpants for church today. So let's pretend that this is one street going right down this aisle, and this is another street going down this aisle right here, okay? So come on over, come on over, and it's a four-lane street, so there's two lanes going that way, two lanes going this way. Hannah's over here in the right lane, and I'm over here in the left lane, and we're just cruising along down this, come, come with me, cruise along, we're going, uh, we're going along, and then just out of nowhere, Hannah decides she's going to go down that street, and I drove right into the driver's door of her car. Oh, uh, good job, Hannah, you nailed that. That was really well done. Um, and, you know, it just happened to be uh, a young woman that was driving. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Gender wars right there. Uh, no judgment, though. They call them accidents because they're accidents, right? So I wasn't, like, upset with her, even though, like, it was a pretty, uh, I'll say, novice thing to do. She was a very young driver. The weather wasn't great. So, you know, accidents happen. No big deal. We're going to hang out. A uh, police officer will come. They'll sort it all out. And I think we can probably both still drive our cars away. And, and it's all good. It's all good. Not, not a huge deal. Uh, I have insurance, so whatever. Uh, uh, not whatever. Sorry, Matt. Matt is actually my insurance agent. There is. I don't mean like whatever. I mean like, oh, I hope this isn't a lot of work for Matt. Um, so anyway, we're good. Yeah, let's just strike that part from the record. If you can cut that out of the podcast, Patrick, that'd be great. Uh, no big deal. I'm not upset. So, uh, so her mom shows up, and she's waiting in her mom's car, and Brandy and I are waiting in, uh, in my car, and uh, the officer comes. He comes and talks to me. I tell him what happened. And then he goes over to the mom's car and talks to the other driver, and, uh, and then the driver comes, drive, they drive away, and he comes over and gives me a ticket 100% all my fault. And I'm like, like just boggling my mind. Like, I'm not upset. I'm like, this has to be some kind of joke. Like, where's the hidden camera? How's this happening? But nope, I got, uh, I got this ticket. By the way, the weather wasn't great, so I was actually going significantly below the speed limit. Uh, I was driving pretty cautiously, uh, but I got a ticket for reckless driving. And uh, so what happened was, okay, I have insurance, I'm out my deductible, uh, whatever, it's not the end of the world. Uh, I'm not gonna get super uptight about it. But my insurance company's like, well, we're gonna get upset about it, because now we're paying thousands and thousands of dollars to fix these two cars. So they take it to court, and it's immediately overturned because it was so blatantly not my fault uh, that my insurance company 
won it. Well, then what happened a couple weeks later was I get served papers that the other driver is suing me for like an insane amount. Like you could have bought 30 of both of our cars for the amount that I was being sued for. And so, uh, you know, I was, I'm like, I think I was 21, 22 years old at the time. I've never been sued before. Uh, I'm kind of freaking out. I'm like, okay, this is a big amount of money. We're going to pay for this for the rest of our life. Brady and I are going to live under a bridge. Like, it's going to be, it's all bad news, right? I'm kind of stressed out about it. Well, my insurance company's attorney contacts me and she gives me really clear instructions. And she says, this is what I need you to do. Uh, I need you to write a statement so you don't have to try and create one when you get there, know what you're going to say. Uh, I need you to be at courtroom D at the courthouse on whatever the day was, we'll say March 23rd at 3.30 p.m. You need to make sure that Brandy comes with you. And those papers that you got in the mail, I need you to fax me a copy of those. I need to fax those over. Uh, I, hopefully all of you still know what a fax machine is. Uh, it's, uh, it's like sort of like a scanner, but it makes a worse sound. And uh, so, okay, no problem. I'm going to take those to the office with me tomorrow. I'm going to send those over. Uh, fax machines are still in use, by the way. I'll use millennials that have no idea what that is. They still exist. And uh, no problem. I'll send those right over. And then, uh, so we'll get all that handled. I wrote down all the instructions. A couple weeks goes by, and she calls me up again. Hey, uh, could you just go ahead and fax those papers over? Uh, dude, I forgot. I forgot to take them to the office. I forgot to send them over. No problem. Tomorrow, they're yours. Okay, so we get everything all set. And uh, the day finally comes. I'm pretty stressed out because I don't know what to expect. And if this goes poorly, um, then, then I have a serious problem on my hands. And I'm thinking to myself, there's no way it could go poorly. It obviously wasn't my fault. But that's what I thought on Christmas Eve, too. So we get there, and uh, we get to the courtroom, courtroom D. You know, there's a docket on the outside. I didn't know that before that, but uh, my name is nowhere on it. And so the attorney comes, and she's like, okay, just stay here, and I'll be back. I'll figure out what's going on. So she's gone, and she's gone for a while. And I'm like, well, I don't know. Is this good? Is this bad? And eventually she comes back, and uh, she says, well, actually, it turns out that the case was totally thrown out like a month ago. Uh, because it was like so blatantly not your fault, and there was some clerical errors, whatever. Uh, the case was actually thrown out quite a while ago. And um, then she says, remember those papers I asked you to fax over to me that you never sent? That could have saved us a lot of trouble right now. And then she just like full on scolded me. If you had just followed my instructions, we wouldn't have had to go to all this trouble. Uh, have you ever had that happen before where if you just would have followed the instructions? You could have saved yourself a lot of trouble. I ended up going to a lot of unnecessary difficulty, experiencing unnecessary stress, going somewhere I didn't want to be and didn't even have to be because I couldn't follow the directions. So I want to throw at you the big idea for today, and that's this, that if you want to experience God's plan for your life, you have to embrace his instructions for your life. You, you have to. I mean, I, that could, you could take that and make that sound really like rigid and religious, it's just a simple reality that if we want to experience God's plan for our lives, if we want to cooperate with what he's up to, we have to embrace his instructions for our, our lives. I think all of us, uh, at least for sure nearly all of us, we want to experience God's plan A, but then life happens and we end up in situations we didn't want to be in. And have you ever thought, man, did I fumble the plan? Did I fumble the instructions? Like, surely this can't be God's will for my life. Is, is this really where God wanted me to be? Should I really be here? But the reality is, if we want to experience God's plan for our lives, we have to embrace his instructions for our lives. That sounds easy enough, doesn't it? I mean, just fax it right over. That sounds easy enough, doesn't it? Uh, turns out we can actually fumble that pretty, pretty easily. So the immediate question might be, okay, well, 
What are those instructions? Where do I find them? And the answer, uh, predictably, is in the Bible. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. If you need guidance from God, you have it. It's in the Bible. It's in the Scripture. It's in His Word. So this week, we're reading in chapter 17 of the story. Uh, we're over the hump. We're past the halfway mark. Uh, the story doesn't, it doesn't contain every word of the Bible, but it's constructed to primarily help us understand the overarching story of God and His people. Uh, you can read the story. You can have another type of Bible study. You can listen to teachers and pastors on podcasts. You can come to church. You can do all of those things and a bunch of other things. Those are all mechanisms to take in the Bible. But this is how God has chosen to disclose himself to us. Uh, it is impossible for us to know God without understanding any of the scripture. That's our most reliable source. So this week, uh, our church-wide Bible study, if you will, that we've been in is the story. We're in chapter 17. Uh, and I, what I want to do is I just want to connect chapter 17 back to the beginning. So there's a few blanks on the card that was on your seat that you can, you can fill in there. Uh, I'd encourage you to do so. Some of them I think will be really helpful. Uh, the first four words of the Bible. I got, I got a slide for those. In the beginning, and the next word is? God. God. In the beginning, God. In the beginning was only God, Nick. In the beginning was only God. The word God appears 32 times in the first 31 verses of the Bible. In the beginning was only God. He's the principal figure of the entire story. He's the principal figure in the entire creative order. He's the principal figure in all of human existence. The story of everything is fundamentally God's story. It's about Him. It's an expression of His glory. That's not about me, although I'm a part of the story. It's not about you, although you're in the story. It's not about the struggle between good and evil, right and wrong, although that is definitely a part of the story. It's God's story. Not only was it all about God in the beginning, but in the beginning, it was all good. It was all good. Uh, you remember God created everything, and when he was all done creating everything, including humans, he looked back and he declared it all to be very good. But not long after that, the antagonist enters the scene. Satan deceives Adam and Eve, and they choose their own way over God's way. And uh, they choose to rebel against God's instructions. And sin, death, pain, disease, all of these things, and a whole bunch of other things, uh, negative consequences enter the world. And in that moment, it all went bad. It was all good, but in that moment, it all went bad. But God didn't leave us to a downward spiral, thankfully. Uh, he immediately began the process of restoration. Uh, he began calling people back to him. And while reconciling to God, reconciliation to God is immediately available to us through Christ. Uh, it became immediately available to us when Jesus died on the cross. The process of restoration is still ongoing. God is in the process of restoring all things back to the place of being very good. It's all being Restored. So think about the story that we've been reading. Uh, you see God's people are just struggling through all kinds of various circumstances. They're having a hard time following the instructions. And at the ground level, like when you're just thinking about the individuals and the people uh, that are happening, there's a lot of struggle going on, maybe even in your own life, just kind of right here in your daily existence. Uh, at ground level, there's a lot of struggle. But if you back up and look at the whole story of human existence and what God is doing in the creative order... He's in the process of restoring all things back to him. And the entire rest of the Bible, which ends in Revelation at the culmination of human history, 
The entire rest of the Bible tells the story of how God is working in history to restore our relationship back to what it was like in the garden at the very beginning. So as we pick up chapter 17, we're going to continue reading about the southern kingdom. You might remember a couple weeks ago, uh, the nation was divided, and last week, uh, the northern kingdom, which is Israel, they refer to themselves, they maintained that name, fell to the Assyrian Empire. Uh, And that really began the process of that entire kingdom, 10 of the 12 tribes, beginning to be just lost into history, being assimilated into other people groups. The southern tribe, Judah, the southern nation, they are still intact. Chapter 17 is about the southern nation. And the king of Judah at this time in chapter 17 is a king named Manasseh. On page 231 in the story, 2 Chronicles 33.1, it says this, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. Are you expecting this to go well? Because I'm sure not at this point. And he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. That's like, you know, pretty, pretty impressive. That's quite a, a monarchy, especially in that day. His mother's name was Hephzibah, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now, he did all kinds of crazy things that would be offensive even in our day. Uh, but when you get down to verse 6, there's eight words that tell you everything you need to know about Manasseh. And this is how deeply committed he was to serving idols, to worshiping foreign false gods. He sacrificed his own son in the fire. I mean, that's got to be bottom of the barrel, right? Is there anywhere down to go from there? God's working to restore a relationship with his people, and he's given them a game plan, and he's given them all these instructions on how to make it happen, on how to turn things around, but they continue to believe that these false trinket gods are somehow uh, going to make them happy. They continue their vain pursuits, and they've declined to the point that their national leader is actually practicing child sacrifice to idols. Uh, How is that possible that God's people decline to that point? Uh, I I don't even understand, and I can't get my head around how they could get that far from God. How is it that God's people all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, over time, look just like the other nations around them? no matter how corrupt and and misguided those nations are? Well, on the top of the next page, it answers that question. Page 232, 2 Chronicles 33.10, it says, The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. God was speaking, but they paid no attention. Uh, God was maybe walking around giving them instructions, but they weren't listening. Can you hear me now? Are you listening to me now? Can you hear what I'm saying now? And they weren't listening. They paid no attention. Consequently, they ended up somewhere they didn't want to go, somewhere they didn't have to go, uh, but it only gets worse from here. They just, they just couldn't embrace God's instructions. So you know where they ended up? As a matter of historical record, in 586 BC, the southern kingdom was taken into cap- captivity by the Babylonian Empire. Uh, now, this is uh, critical context to help you understand the rest of the narrative. Uh, the Babylonians came, and uh, you might remember last week, When the Assyrians came, they surrounded and tried to just lay siege to Jerusalem, and they just basically gave them the offer to surrender. Uh, The Babylonians don't mess around with that. They burnt that mother to the ground. They destroyed the temple. They destroyed the wall. A few of the people were scattered, but most of them were taken off into captivity in Babylon. Now, just, I mean, try to get your head around that, right? Like, if the Canadians invaded... No, I'm just kidding. But, but like you can imagine what that, would be, what that would be like. I know. Like I said, the Canadians invaded. You all start laughing. Canada, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 
If you're listening, Canada, I'm sorry. Uh, but you can imagine, like, just try to get your head around what that would be like. Like, foreign army overwhelms the city you live in and hauls you all the way to a foreign country in captivity, uh, where they would, they would pretty much all spend the rest, of their, the rest of their lives. They ended up somewhere they didn't want to be, and they didn't have to be there. They just couldn't embrace the, they just couldn't embrace the instructions God was giving them. It's a bad scene. It's gone from bad to worse simply because they weren't listening. Now, during the time of this captivity, God raises up a prophet. Uh, this, is, this was God's mechanism of speaking to the people at this time. He raises up a prophet named Jeremiah. Uh, it's kind of interesting to me. It was a time when they probably could have used like a really strong kind of pound the table type of leader to help them through this situation. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. Uh, so I think probably the thing that I would just offer you, if you're a person who uh, maybe you kind of fancy yourself as sort of sensitive, I'm a little bit of a wallflower, uh, maybe you get, feel like you get run over a little bit, guess what? God can use you. Don't be afraid. God can use you. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet, and he's the voice of God to a nation. How about that? Pretty cool stuff. One of the books Jeremiah wrote in the Bible is called Lamentations, and it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a lament over what has happened to Jerusalem. Now, on page 243 in the story, Lamentations 1, this is what he says as he looks out over the destroyed city of Jerusalem. He says, How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night, tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. And through Jeremiah, as he looks out at the destruction, God is saying, can you hear me now? Are you listening to me now? Did, did it have to really get to this point? God had tried to warn them. He tried to call out to them over and over, but they paid no attention. And at this point, all seems lost. They wouldn't listen. And this would actually be the end of the story. This would be the end of the narrative of God's people, except that God is in the process of restoring all things back to very good. If that's not what he's up to, if it's just punitive and God just says, I've had enough, uh, what, happens, what would happen is the people would just be assimilated into the Babylonian Empire and other people groups, and it would literally be the end of the narrative. But God is in the process of restoring all things. A little further down, Jeremiah says this. It's on page 244. It's verse 21, Lamentations 3. He says, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. Uh, you ever find yourself somewhere that you didn't have to go, but you went there because you weren't paying attention to God's instructions? That's really good news. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. In the worst of circumstances, Jeremiah understands what we need to understand, that God's mercy remains, that God is still waiting for them to call out. Even when we turn away, he is faithful. Even when we end up in a place we shouldn't be, God is still faithful. God always wants us to turn around and come back to him. If you're wondering, uh, if you're feeling far from God, I'm, I'm engaged in some things I shouldn't be, I'm someplace I shouldn't be, if you're wondering what God wants you to do, he wants you to turn around and come back. 
That has never changed. That is true right up to this moment. And through Jeremiah, God gives his people a promise. It's found in Jeremiah chapter 21 and verse 10. This is what it says. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, after you've been in captivity for 70 years, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. God's promise is, I will restore you. Uh, You remember that Jerusalem, this entire region, this is the promised land. God promised it to Abraham's descendants forever. God says, I'm going to make good on my promise. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to bring you back. And maybe you might be in a spot in life where you have got some regret or you're living with some sorrow. Uh, I wish I would have done something differently. Maybe there's something you're looking back at wishing you would have paid attention to God's instructions. We've all been there. We all end up there at times. What I want you to know is there might be consequences of those choices that still have to be dealt with, but God wants to bring you back. God wants to bring you back. God won't allow disaster to pay you back, but sometimes he may allow disaster to bring you back. Uh, If you ever look at your mistakes or sin and think, God's punishing me. God's punishing me for this. Uh, God doesn't allow disaster in your life to pay you back. He's not that petty. He's above that. But he may allow difficulty to happen in your life in order to bring you back. And that's what's happening to this nation. He's let them hit bottom so that they would return to his plan for them. Now, you might be thinking, okay, Pastor Kelly, are you saying that if I don't follow the instructions, God's going to bring a calamity into my life? He's going to let something terrible happen? Uh, Here's what I can tell you for sure. That doesn't have to be the case. It doesn't have to be that way. You can turn around right now. Before, the, before that happens. I, I remember uh, a friend of mine who's a pastor, he was telling me about someone asking him, uh, so are you saying that if I don't believe this particular thing about Jesus, then I'm like condemned? And his answer was, it doesn't have to be the case. I know that for sure. I know that for sure. You don't have to end up somewhere you don't want to be. You can choose today to embrace God's instruction. You can choose his plans. All of us have to make that choice on a daily basis. Now, maybe you're in the middle of that difficulty, dealing with that right now and thinking to yourself, God is allowing this to happen, to punish me for what I've done wrong, and that's just not the case. That's just not how it works. Sometimes he allows the consequences of sin to run its course so that we'll cry out and return. But his ultimate goal is always for you to come back. So after all this happens to the nation, uh, it's pretty crazy, after they've ignored God to the point of being basically completely cut off from him. This is what it says in the next verse. Uh, almost all of you have heard this verse before. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. God says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. It's a very famous verse that can only be fully understood against its proper context, its proper backdrop. But I believe, based on the entirety of Scripture, that this verse is for everyone who chooses to believe it, everyone who chooses to put their faith in it, that God does have plans for us. Uh, here's where a lot of us get hung up. We believe that God has plans. This is where I get hung up. Maybe, maybe you don't. We believe that God has plans. I just don't know what they are. I just feel like he's not being clear, clear enough with me about what they are. Like, if he would just tell me, I would do it. Um, I guess partly what I would say to that is that um, the story of Judah is maybe evidence that if you knew the plan, you still might not do it. But, 
But nonetheless, we get in this spot where we think, if I just knew what God wanted me to do, then I, then I would do it. Uh, here's why God doesn't speak to you like that. Because let's just say, hypothetically, he sent some prophet-like figure to tell you exactly what to do. There's a pretty good chance you wouldn't pay attention. There's a pretty good chance I wouldn't pay attention. And I'm basing that on thousands of years of history of God's people having someone to literally come and tell them exactly what to do and the struggle they had to do it. And that would be really problematic if having a relationship with God was all about doing right and avoiding wrong, but it's a relationship. If I knew what to do, I might not do it. So just for example, some of you are really young and you might be deciding, uh, where where am I going to go to college? What am I going to do for a career? What am I going to invest my life in? Or uh, some of you maybe are farther down that path. Maybe you're contemplating career change. What, should I go this direction? Should I go that direction? And maybe some of you are contemplating marriage might be something you're thinking about, contemplating a, a large purchase, some significant life decision. We're all going to face those. Uh, I want you to know that God does have plans for you, and you can know what they are. That is possible. God does have plans, and you can know what they are. You can discern God's plans for big decisions in life. Uh, But I want to give you this one caveat before we go any farther. Uh, If you're familiar with the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is teaching people how to pray. Uh, He says, one of the things he prays to God is, give us this day our daily bread. Not like five years worth of bread, uh, not, you know, our monthly bread, but it's like, I got to depend on God to guide me right now in this moment. Even if I can't see what's a month down the road, uh, this is critical. Jesus, Jesus didn't say, okay, God has a plan, and if you just really dial in, he's going to lay out the entire course of your life, and you'll know every step to take. Uh, the process is, I trust God for today, and tomorrow I wake up, and he meets me right there, and I trust him again. So, so I just want you to know, before we go any farther, uh, it's a day-by-day, moment-by-moment relationship. But God does have plans, and you can understand them. You can know what they are. Uh, so with our last few minutes, I want to try my best to equip you to discern the direction God is taking you in the course of life's decisions, to discern uh, God's plan A and to navigate those choices. Uh, Are you ready? If you're not a note taker, this might be a great time to start. Uh, There hopefully will be some good food for thought. I think somebody's going to walk out the door uh, with a decision replacing confusion, uh, which is pretty exciting. Somebody's trying to make uh, a decision. Maybe uh, maybe you're just listening online. You're trying to make a choice about this direction or that. Uh, I think you're going you're gonna to have some resolution today. So this is pretty awesome. Uh, to me, anyway. Maybe I'm just a Bible nerd. I don't know. Uh, okay. So uh, I want to I just introduce you to a little formula. I guess that's a kind of a bad word, but I couldn't think of a better one to replace it for kind of categorizing the will of God. It'll make sense when we get there. The Bible, when the Bible talks about the will of God, you can kind of just, just divide it up into three categories, okay? So they're neatly uh, displayed on the screen. They're even uh, on the blanks for your card. You can fill those right in there. I left those blank because when we write them down, it lodges in our memory. So a uh, little trickery there for you. They are God's providential plan, God's personal plan, and God's moral plan. Now, notice that God's personal plan for your life is wedged right between the other two. Okay, this is kind of a critical, helpful part of uh, the understanding. It's it's stuck in between God's providential plan and God's moral plan uh, because the outer two are kind of like guardrails. Uh, Your personal plan, God's personal plan for you is never going to be on the outside of either of those two things. So uh, let's just go through them really quick. God's providential plan is essentially the things that he has already decided that he's going to do without any, any input from you or anybody else. 
For example, uh, God decided that the earth is going to rotate on its axis roughly every 24 hours. Did anybody here get a vote on that? I didn't. Uh, if you did, wow, that's, you should write a book. Uh, okay, God just decided that's how it's going to be. Doesn't depend on your cooperation, doesn't depend on whether I believe it or like it. He's just going to do it. It's providence. It's his own sovereign decision. Uh, another example would be that God providentially decided in and of himself, without any input from us, that he would send his son into the world to die for our sins, and that putting our faith in him would become the exclusive gateway to reconciliation with God, to knowing God. We know God through Christ. That's the, re- that's the way he decided it was going to happen. Whether I believe it, whether I like it, whether I vote for it or against it, doesn't matter. He decided that's how it's going to happen. That's providence. He gets to do that. Uh, the rest of us actually have maybe sometimes in our life kind of the illusion of providence, but truthfully, God's the only one that actually has providence. I don't know about you. Uh, I actually like that. Uh, I actually really find a lot of comfort in knowing that uh, through the ups and downs of my life, through the ups and downs of just the world, human history, uh, nothing is outside of God's providence. It only happens if he allows it to happen. If he says it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen. I actually find a lot of comfort in that. The other guardrail uh, as we venture along to down the path of God's personal plan for our lives is God's moral plan. This is where we find God's wisdom and the ability to discern between what's right and what's wrong. Uh, His moral instructions say, uh, if you you stay inside these guardrails, it will lead you to life, uh, to abundant life, what the New Testament calls it. Uh, I can't tell you how often I talk to people who tell me the story of how they got outside this particular guardrail, and uh, it didn't make their life better. It sucked the life out of them. It destroyed what used to be good things in their lives. Uh, These are the stories of regret. People get outside of God's moral plan, God's moral will. Uh, The stories they tell are stories of regret. I wish I would have chosen differently. The decision to be dishonest, unfaithful, selfish, to nurse anger, to nurse lust, things of these nature. These are the stories that begin with the moment they ignored God's instruction, uh, and they're always filled with regret. Those are the things that you look back at and think, man, if I had just paid attention to God's instructions, I wouldn't have ended up somewhere that I didn't want to be. Uh, This is the moral guardrail for our life. And then the third one, God's personal plan, uh, it it really lies directly between these two. I like to think of uh, providence uh, as being uh, God's mind, his thought process, how he has constructed things, the process by which God works. And then his moral providence, providence, providence as being his heart, uh, you know, how God cares for us, what he considers to be wise and good for our lives. God's personal plan is always, and I mean always, going to be inside of these two guardrails. Uh, a, lot, a, lot of times, a lot of times we get stuck because we don't know what God's plans are, um, and we think, okay, God, just show me what you want to do, and we pray, and we ask God, and we think, and we contemplate, and we get advice. Uh, and we want to know what God's plan is so that we can decide whether or not we want to cooperate with it. Uh, I'm, i got to be honest with you, that's, that's like the wrong approach. Uh, God's plans are not really for me to consider. Uh, God's plans are God's plans, and I either get to cooperate with them or not. I can stay inside the guardrails or I can get outside the guardrails, but I shouldn't be surprised when I get outside if it goes poorly. Uh, I think probably all of us have lived long enough to, uh, to experience that. This is what Proverbs 28, 26 says. It says that those who trust in themselves 
are fools. But those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. Uh, those who seek counsel, God protects them. The counsel will protect them. God's plans aren't up for consideration. They exist for you to participate in. So get this, uh, when we struggle to understand God's plan for our lives, it's, awesome, it's often because we're living or thinking on the outside of these two guardrails. Um, so let me just say this, if you are living outside of God's, providence is a tough one to get outside of, but outside of God's moral guardrail, if you're living outside there, the best thing you can do right now is turn around and come back in. Uh, not beat yourself up. Um, you know, not, not, the very first thing you can do is say, God, I want back in and then change course. Like that's the most important thing that you can possibly do right now. Um, it's impossible for you to discover God's will for your life from the outside of those two guardrails uh, because God is not going to act in contradiction with what he has declared to be so. He's not going to act outside of who he has declared himself to be. So, so if you're living on the outside of those guardrails, you are not going to find God's will for your life out there. It's not there. And God's never going to act outside of it. So uh, let me just give you an example to put some, um, kind of put some skin on that so that makes sense. Um, I have had, uh, on more than one occasion, unfortunately, uh, a married person tell me something like this. Uh, I met this other person and... Uh, you know, they just make me feel so good about myself, and they just they pay attention to me, and we just have so much fun together, and I kind of feel like I probably should have married that person to begin with, and I think God's will is for me to be in this relationship, uh, and so I think we're probably going to get divorced, and I'm going to be in this relationship over here. I think that's God's will for me. No, it's not. Read the Bible. It's not. I promise you. You are never going to find God's will for your life out there. Does that example make sense? There's a thousand different ways that that could play out. That's just one example. Uh, that's not God's will for your life. You're not going to find his will for you out there. The person who says, well, they mistreated me, so it's okay for me to mistreat them. No, it's not. Read the Bible. You're not going to find God's will for your life out there. My point is this. Uh, seeking God's will when you're not willing to embrace his instructions, that makes no sense. If I'm not willing to embrace his instructions, I'm not, I'm not going to find his will out there wanting it my own way. But when you live inside the providential will and inside the moral will of God, you'll discover that you actually have all kinds of freedom down that road right there. You have all kinds of freedom. I believe in the sovereignty of God, uh, but I also believe that he allows me to make decisions. Uh, you have room to move inside the grace of God. The more you understand his mind and his heart, the more your life is going to naturally align with his personal plan for you. So God's providential plan, square, like step one to cooperating with that, say yes to Jesus. That's God's plan for you. The Bible tells us that God is not willing, it is not his will that anyone should perish, but that all should come to salvation through Christ. Uh, you don't get to vote on that. That's going to be his will. That's going to be his desire, whether it's your desire or not. You get to decide if you're going to stay inside that guardrail or not. Um, Stay inside the guardrails, and you're going to find a tremendous amount of freedom. See, the Bible doesn't specifically tell you or specifically every step you should take. Uh, but the truth is, uh, I think my friend Riley can follow Jesus at College A or at College B. I think you can do that in any place. Uh, I think you're going to find God's will inside of these two guardrails, and you're going to find a lot of freedom there. It does tell us, the Bible does tell us God's providential and moral plan which are the guardrails to keep us on track. So 
Uh, when it comes to a personal plan, I want to give you three questions that you can ask that I think are really wise questions to ask uh, that will help you in more specific decision-making uh, processes. This is kind of our, our last uh, little part. I think this will be helpful if you're up against any kind of big decision in life. Uh, you can apply these and you will be sure that you are living inside God's moral and providential will. The first one is providential. Put your faith in Christ. That's, that's an easy one. Uh, to stay inside God's moral will, be submitted to his instructions for how you should live. Here's the three questions. Number one, have I thought and prayed about this or am I rushing it? Have I thought and prayed about this? Uh, it's been my experience that God rarely does anything on a whim. Like, like I'm always the one who's like in a hurry to make something happen. It's, it's pretty much never God. Um, it's always me that gets impatient. Uh, if the peace of God has not settled into your spirit, pump the brakes until it does. Okay, have I thought and prayed about this or am I rushing it? Uh, the second question is, do my spiritual authorities think this is a good idea? What's a spiritual authority? Uh, the spiritual authority is uh, the people that you trust. That might be someone who has an actual position. Maybe they're a pastor or a teacher or something like that in your life. Um, but your spiritual authority are the people whose advice you take because you trust their spiritual maturity, uh, whether they have a title or not. Do they think this is a good idea? Proverbs says that the wise person listens to advice, but the person who doesn't think they need advice is a fool. Do my spiritual authorities think this is a good idea? Third question is, does this plan agree with or oppose what I know from Scripture? Now, you might not know everything that the Bible says, but does it agree with or oppose what I do know? Uh, I've often said, and as probably true for you too, uh, most of the time the hard part's not knowing what to do, it's actually doing it for me. Uh, like, I know I shouldn't ram three pieces of cake in my face, one would probably do. Uh, I know that, I have that knowledge. The hard part is sticking with one, right? Okay, uh, yeah. Uh, God's never going to contradict himself, so does, does this plan agree with Scripture? The very best thing you can do to get yourself in the middle of God's plan A for your life is fill yourself with the Bible. Fill yourself with Scripture. It's the very best thing you can do. It's going to teach you to think like God thinks. It's going to teach you who and how to learn from others. Uh, it's going to give you divine wisdom that will reshape your character and your decision-making process. The very best thing you can do is fill yourself with the Scripture. The big idea for today is that if you want to experience God's plan for your life, you have to embrace his instructions for your life. I don't know about you, but I'm actually excited that God has instructions for me. I actually think that's a really, really great thing. So I'm going to ask the band if they'll come back up. We're going to sing a couple songs of worship. Um, last thing, though, as they're, as they're getting set. Uh, God's plan for my life, God's plan for your life, is a relationship, not a checklist. It's not do's and don'ts. It's not make sure I do the right thing here so that God doesn't punish me. It's a relationship, not a checklist. Um, if you've been around church for a long time, uh, you probably know some people who have been to every single Bible study, and they are just dialed in when it comes to scriptural knowledge, but they're just grumpy and mean. You know any of those people who use the scripture as a way to disqualify others, to point out what other people are doing wrong? Uh, does... Does that sound like God's heart? As I read the Bible, I see that Jesus is a qualifier, not a disqualifier. Because following God's plan for my life is about having a relationship with him, about being with him, 
His will, his goal, his plan is for us to walk with him so that he can bless us, so that he can protect us, so that he can guide us. And in turn, we can say, how awesome is God? Look at what he's done for me. So I'm going to ask you if you stand with me. I want to pray for you. Uh, God, thank you that you have just poured all these great things in our life. We have so many things to be grateful for. Uh, I pray that as we sing today, you'd just be blessed by our gratitude. And uh, God, I pray that it would bring joy to your heart. Lord, I pray for uh, the person who's listening, who knows that right now they're just, they're outside of your will. They're outside of your plans for their life. Um, Simply because they're not following your heart. Uh, They want their own way, not not your way. God, I pray that you would just soften that and that they would be able to walk away today having decided to follow after you. God, I thank you that you are not just waiting for us to pull ourselves together and and make the right decision, uh, but that you're just waiting for us to depend on you, to lean on you. And if that's you, if you're feeling far away from God, I I just want to remind every one of us what Romans 5, 8 says. It says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus is a qualifier. If he wanted to disqualify you, he would have waited for you to clean yourself up. How awesome is that? Lord, we're so grateful that you came to where we were and you walked down the road and you hung on the cross for me. For me. Before I ever knew you, before I ever wanted you, you died for the best version of me and you died for the worst, most jaded, ugly version of me as well. You died for me on my best day, and you died for me on my worst day. Thank you for your grace that never ends. In Jesus' name.